0: Chapter 43 of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter 43 Molly proposes. In the publicity of the corn market, Molly embraced Matthew Mark whose emotions were rather decent than grateful. But Mademoiselle, nay, Mademoiselle, he cried, extricating himself with energy, but with difficulty. I assure you, I do not deserve it. But you have been working for my sake, sweetheart, quoth Molly, languishing at him. Not at all. I have been mending my breeches. Sure, that was for my sake, and Molly regarded them with affection. Matthew Mark fingered the patch nervously, and nervously looked from it to her. "'It does not chime with its background,' he admitted. "'No, it is certainly not beautiful, but it is necessary.' "'Like me,' said Molly, and set her cake basket on one arm, and tucked the other into his, and propelled him with her toward Carfax, like a jolly, round body of a woman parading a reluctant scarecrow. "'My pretty,' said the reluctant Matthew Mark, "'this is not seemly.' "'Fie, now!' cried Molly. "'You would not make me do unmaidenly, would you, a kind gentleman?' "'Indeed I would not,' Matthew Mark protested, with tears in his voice. "'Why then,' says she generously, "'I'll never be ashamed with you, dearie.' "'You will understand,' said Matthew Mark, uneasy, in her vigorous arm, "'that my situation is invidious.' "'Sure, it is sweet in you to say so,' Molly murmured, and leaned on him affectionately. Matthew Mark groaned. "'They were hailed boisterously by a shaggy sergeant of Sir Marmaduke's regiment. "'What, Molly? Who is your prop?' "'This is my new husband.' "'Bless him!' cried Molly, with pride. "'See how happy he is?' Odds bones! "'It would take two of him to make you a husband.' "'But it needs only half of me to make him a wife. "'So I am in spirits. "'Am I not, sweetheart?' "'She turned to the hapless Matthew Mark. "'But he fairly fought himself free "'and sped round the corner. "'Good lusty fellow!' the sergeant cried. "'Tis his breeches, poor soul,' said Molly, and returned the business, and after so fair an advertisement, sold many cakes. She was going home to fill her basket again, when she saw Colonel Stowe, borne by the provost-marshal, to Bucardo, and stood agape. When the posse came out, she was still there. "'Lud, master, what hath he done, poor soul?' says she to one of them. Made a face at the king, lass. Sure, a cat may do that. But he is none, being no woman. Then Molly's trade suffered, for she was more zealous in seeking Alcibiade than in selling cakes. But Alcibiade, who was indulging a mind that loved the rural and a body that loved running water by a walk over the meadows to bathe in the share at Marston, was not found till sundown. Languid and very peaceful, he sauntered down St. Giles to meet a warm, ever-vescent Molly, who unbraided him without reason given, stated that he was a fool to care about his master, that his master was six times as good as he, that his master was in prison for cursing the king, that there was nothing to be done, and he had better do it at once instead of making love to dairymaids through all which Alcibiade preserved a calm that exasperated her extremely. When she had exhausted herself, he sauntered on with his original ease. At the gate of Bacardo, she beheld him in jovial converse with the jailer, and swore she hated him. But presently, his pace down the corn market was quicker. Alcibade had little luck. From the jailer he learned that Colonel Stowe had been taken away by Gilbert Bourne. Outside Gilbert Bourne's quarters, in St. Aldate's, he saw an escort under arms, and by them was told that Colonel Stowe was within. He went in, but again he was too late. The rooms were bare. He did not publish the news. Some of the fact he guessed at once. Captain Gilbert Bourne helped his master escape, tit for tat. There was but one way of escape, off to the Puritans. Alcibade did some varied drinking with sergeants and quartermasters, and learned the password of the night. Then he took himself and a horse out over Magdalene Bridge and away. But he was still out of luck. He had not gone two miles when he came upon the rear of Rupert's horsemen. He could not pass them. There was naught to be learned of them. He loitered with the rear guard, trying to find some reason in it all. When they crashed on the outpost at Wheatley, while relying on a traitor commandant, politely ready for defeat, they charged the main camp. They hurled themselves into a trap. Colonel Royston had been careful. His dragoneers enfiladed them at close range, and shattered them utterly. Alcibade held aloft. It was no affair of his, but he did not reckon on the full greatness of the disaster. The fresh squadrons of Royston, hurled at the shattered ranks, swept them back like dust before the wind, and in the rout Alcibade was caught and ridden down, and lay with many another in that ghastly harvest of Colonel Strasi's ingenuity. It may be doubted whether he suffered that night as much as Matthew Mark. Matthew Mark, being a cook, was a person of imagination and emotion. You conceive his manifold feelings when an angry patrol beat out Colonel Stowe's quarters, and in two short minutes he learned that his master had been cast into prison, had got out of it, and vanished. He sought Alcibiade half the night through, and found nothing of him, either. He wept. He abused Alcibiade for the good fortune of sharing his master's woes, and wept again. The morning brought worse tribulation. Rupert's battered, decimated horsemen poured into the town to brag that they had been betrayed. Soon the busybodies of Oxford, or trace it, if you will, to my lord Digby, put facts together to make a tale and presented Colonel Stowe as an infamous traitor, the very murrain of the king's cause. Matthew Mark had to hear it. He expressed his immediate emotion by knocking a scrivener's head against the tavern wall, and after, in the meditations of solitude, performed the like operation for his own. He was tumultuously distressed. You are not to suppose he believed anything against his master. It was the vision of a slander attacking his master's nobility that moved the foundations of his soul. He was a cook in grain. If he fell an easy prey to the higher passions, he had a keen zeal for the practical. Now Colonel Stowe had fled, but left his goods behind. Since they called him traitor, they would soon lay hands upon his goods. Plainly, it was necessary to get them out of Oxford. And whither? There was but one place, the father's house at Stoke, Mandeville and when the property was lodged in safety, a man could seek out its master. Matthew Mark began to pack. In the course of daily business, Molly heard from troopers who loved the sweets that they were beaten and Colonel Stowe a traitor. Luds, be kind, quoth Molly. It needs no traitor to beat you. Concerning Colonel Stowe, she had truly no opinion. Treason and war for children's games that did not interest her. She believed in him for other matters. And she had her own reasons for wanting to know where he was. She sought out Matthew Mark. He was in Colonel Stowe's quarters. He was filling bags and baskets. "'Lud, a mercy!' cried Molly. What art doing?" Matthew Mark, with every desire to tell, felt circumstances against him. "'I arrange our possessions,' he said. "'I dust them.' He was horrified to observe Molly subside upon a basket with distorted countenance. She emitted a wail. "'My pretty soul,' he protested pathetically, "'this is quite unnecessary. "'Tell me, in what way are you sad?' "'You are going to leave me,' Molly lamented. "'Alas, mademoiselle, I say alas!' I mingle my tears with yours, but we must bow to destiny. And he cheered up. Molly took her hands from her rosy face and looked at him. The sight appeared to increase her grief, for she ran to him and cast her arms about his embarrassed neck. Oh, I cannot bear to let you go. Can you bear to go from me? Not in the least, said Matthew Mark, keeping as far off as he could. But I have to. "'I have to go to my master.' "'And how can you think to get all that gear past the sentries?' cried Molly, who, being at least half a cook, had her share of the practical mind. "'Why, they call your colonel a traitor in every alehouse. They'll seize every dud of his. They'll strip you bare as a worm.' "'Let them essay,' cried Matthew Mark, and, shaking her off, struck a martial attitude." Then reflection came to him, and he relaxed and regarded her dolefully. "'Where will you be going, my dear?' said she. "'To his father's house, by Stoke, under Aylesbury. And then to find himself.' "'And then to find himself,' Molly repeated in a low voice, and laughed. Then she clapped her hands, crying, "'I've a plan, I've a plan.' Like most of the higher strategy, it was simple enough. The miller's man from Sanford, who sold Molly flour for her cakes, had a kindness for her. Another unhappy, groaned Matthew Mark. He would be in Oxford with his wagon that day. Colonel Stowe's goods could go under the tilt. Colonel Stowe's horse to be ridden by the miller's man. Matthew Mark could ride under the tilt with the baggage or slip out alone. Matthew Mark, who had the cook's distrust of other people, elected for the tilt. And so it was done. All went smoothly. The good folk of the inn winked at the wagon and the miller's steed, but they were friendly enough. Matthew Mark hid himself effectively. It was not hard for his girth, and without challenge they passed the bridge. All had gone smoothly as butter sauce thought Matthew Mark, when he heard with stupefaction the jovial voice of Molly. Peeping under the tilt, he beheld the buxom maid sitting comfortably on the shaft. She was hooded and girt for a journey. A bundle and staff reposed beside her. The miller's man, crying to the wagoneer at the head of the team, ranged his charger alongside. "'Do tell me now, Molly,' said he, Who be the foreigner? Sure, who should he be? cried Molly. Would I come for any other man? Tis my blessed husband. Ha, ha! quoth the miller's man. Matthew Mark tore his hair. End of chapter 43 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas